0: welcome back to the podcast this is mo and i'm super excited to chat with this person she's i don't have any biological sister and it's just as well because i can imagine girls can be quite annoying but this person comes close really really close she's my younger sister in every sense of that word i'm older than her seven weeks exactly and she's so rude she doesn't even like acknowledge it you know these kids of nowadays this generation z gen z or whatever they call themselves Anyways, (laughs) Anyways, <laughs> I have just resumed resumed mm-hmm. her generation. Um, we went to college, uh, high school together. Um, she came in her sixth senior secondary year, yeah, from SS1 to SS3. And I thought she looked cool. And we've been very, we've been friends since then. Um, parents, I'm um, godparents to so her kids. I brought her on the show really to talk about her work with women who um are indigents in Nigeria, in Africa actually, and a lot of her initiatives in lifting them from poverty and providing them with financial skills to able to also provide some form of education to um, their progeny. Today I have the ever dynamic um, Fumi Okubanjo Niyade This woman is very powerful and it's such an honor to have her on the podcast. You know, jokes aside, it's such an honor to have her on the podcast. She speaks a lot of wisdom. She's um, also very, and let me stop saying nice things about her because, uh, She doesn't handle compliments well, so it's just as well. So, welcome
1: to the podcast. (laughs) Okay, so I'm learning to take compliments. In fact, I'm learning to give myself the compliments. So, I can do my own introduction now. Okay. (laughs) So, I call myself an essential service provider uh, on the continent of Africa. If people like, me like myself it would not function i don't know how our economy will survive so yes i'm an essential service provider <laughs> okay anyways um thank you mo for having me on this podcast so my name is fromia kobanjo uh, at the core of me i'm just someone who wants to help others i'm just somebody who wants to empower others so i usually would say i'm a catalyst because i get stuff start staying. I'm a crusader because I will run with it as long as I believe in it. So you sell me an idea, I can literally own it, and people will hear me talk about it, and you'll be confused that, is this my idea? Why does she sound like she's the owner of the idea? Yes, um, it's because I, I tend to passionately follow through on things that I believe are real and things that I believe are true to my identity as a person. So, yes, yeah. so thanks for having me on the show. So- yeah, let's talk
0: about <laughs> You know, I'm so proud of you because I imagine that a few years ago you probably not have been able to say something about yourself. You know? So sure. that's that's quite sure. um um all right. Let's start from the very beginning. Um I don't know if you remember. Were you there then? I'm not sure. But there's a time in secondary school. So we went to oil, um, went to high school together. I had to take exit to go home because I was having some pains in my breast and my mom came to get me, and then we went to the doctors, and I, and that was when, you know, breast cancer was like, you know, they were talking about breast cancer, and I just thought, oh my God, this is it, I'm dying young, um, but it ended up that I was, I was you know, because I was just growing up into poverty, poverty, poverty. My, breast glands were still, <laughs> my breast glands were still developing, and I think something about, you know, I, ended up, I didn't even have to have surgery, it was just let it cause when I was when I would jump I had so much pain in my boobs. But it was just, you know, me coming into poverty and the doctor reassured my mom everything was gonna be okay. But I cannot lie to you just how much stressful it was for me leading up to that moment when I finally heard from the doctor that everything was gonna be okay. I thought I was dying. And I think that was the very first time and from then on I've always been killed to like, you know, women's health and just our body and just how mysterious it is. And then when I started getting my periods and compared to all my other friends and they're like oh that's so heavy or you don't you know bleed as much so my question for you will be this what was the first time you started paying attention to women's health especially your health like do you have a story you want to share about that
1: uh, okay funny it's weird i think i started paying attention to my body after marriage <laughs> yes mm. i think before marriage I i i didn't pay so much attention to my health as a woman in fact, if you ask me certain questions about my body parts, I, I, I probably sound very stupid. I'm like, she said something young girl. She doesn't even know her body parts well enough. You know? So while, yes, in high school, they talked a lot of things around, here yeah, because you're yeah, right, breast cancer campaigns started strongly when we were in secondary school. And they taught you how to check your breasts and all yeah. those things. I think I mentally blocked in the those. Yes. I think I blocked those things out because I just didn't want to know. I'd also seen older women struggle with their health. And I just felt like as long as I don't face my health issues, as long as I don't pay, pay too much attention to my body, then I could live in a moment and enjoy my life. I think that was pretty much my thinking. Like I just didn't want to be worried about something that, at the end of the day, I might not be able to control. I have to submit myself to some professional guidance. I think I don't want to be bothered about that too. It's probably why until I got married, mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking about it. And the only reason mm-hmm. I started thinking about it in in marriages because, of course, when you get married, everybody starts asking you, alpha, alpha. And it was taking me a yeah. while to be pregnant. So I yeah. think at that moment, I just started paying more attention. In fact, cause after marriage, I started paying attention to what oh, was a menstrual cycle. Before then, if you asked me... What? yes. Before then, if you asked me, I don't know. I just know I'm on every month. Um, you asked, oh... <laughs> Until I, got, until I got married and people started saying, I didn't start tracking, you know, one 21 days, it's 7 days. I just, I wasn't paying attention to this. Truthfully, I, 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 before marriage, I just wanted to leave my life. I wanted to just, I was more focused on, say, career, opportunities. I like like, let not just leave. I am like, I cannot be bothered about all these other things. Then I get to the bridge, uh, I'll cross it. And so pretty much, was what
0: marriage just, is. You just said, okay, start worrying about it. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Wow. And I think your story is not different from most of the women that I've spoken to, oh, right? No. And, um, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, even labeling their vagina parts, you know, the vulva, the mons, the, the labia majority. so everybody yeah. even know where the clitoris is. And these are the people that own those body parts. And I guess the question is, where... Could it be the society we grew up in? Because we tend to be too modest about these kind of issues, right? Yeah. I won't like it. It wasn't until maybe I can't even I don't want to even say how long ago. It wasn't too long ago. Let me just because it's kind of embarrassing. Before I could understand that the vulva is run from the vagina. <laughs> or like the, yeah, yeah, like know the differences between them. and I have a PhD, <laughs> right? But it's just that cognitive dissonance about body parts. Is it, just, is it just for people like us that are from Africa and, you know, being females that, you know, they don't tend to talk about these things because, you know, you, know, you don't want you to be all loose and, you know, randy-dandy. Why do you think is, is that different for us? And do you think it has changed with this new generation of kids, people are birthing?
1: Um, so I think it's, it's a lot more around modesty as a girl child. Um, it's a lot more about mm. <laughs> things around virginity and keeping yourself, your marriage. And so there was so much emphasis on, and often when we were growing up, people remember, the teenage pregnancy was quite high, but our mothers constantly (laughs) just said things like, talk over for what point, which means if a man should touch you, you'll be pregnant. Nobody really sat down to have the conversation. And then when we got to biology class and the teachers wanted to have the conversation, most times it was also a bit awkward for the teacher because the biology is most likely going to be male. So it was a bit, you see, it was, it was more comfortable talking to the boys. But for girls, and for those of us who went to girls only school, it was really like, uh, I, like let me just show you what's in the text you can walk away. You can draw it, figure the rest out yourself. Um, so I think it's because of the environment in which you grew up, a lot of emphasis on modesty. And I, I also think, from conversations I've had with my mom as an adult, she said things like she truthfully thought if she talked about those things with us, our body parts and the responsibilities of your sexual organs, she felt like you would then want to explore. So she sincerely thought, if I don't talk about it, then you're ignorant, then you just walk in fear, which is simply nobody should touch you. What it meant that nobody should touch you, it was just big, nobody should touch you. So I think that's uh, that's why. But I've also met friends. Yes, um, who grew up same time as us, and they are very like aware. But I remember that as teenagers, we used to look at yeah. them like they were bad. It was like ah, I know I'm they knew so everything. More. Like, yes, I'm... like a bad girl. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. You know so much, really?
1: yeah.
0: But you know what? I- I'm changing in the sense that the conversations I have with Ari, I talk to her about. I don't even call you know, bomb bomb, I call the body parts like the yeah. way they're supposed to be called, and. It's so much so that even when I'm, like, you know, showering for her and I have to wash I was like, don't touch it. I'm like, it's okay. Mommy can touch it if she's showering for you. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, don't touch it, don't touch it. Because I always tell her, no one should touch it. This is Harry's space, you know, and all that. But I'm, I'm more encouraged to talk to her about just, you know, autonomy and her body and, you know, what is a good touch versus an unwanted touch. Mm-hmm. And even though it's super uncomfortable, but, you know, I'd rather just do it now. And, of course, these messages will be age-appropriate. As I mean, I'm looking at her as a four-year-old now. There's only so much I can talk to her. Once it's five, you know, the conversation gets to another level and then we keep going on and on. I just want her to be very aware you know, of her body and, you know, also be aware of her autonomy and um, be able to speak up about if anything is, you know, going going on with her. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious. I know you have kids as well, especially you have a daughter, which, you know, I know you love so much. What are your conversations like with her? and How are you preparing to do because the way I see parenting is what we know yeah but we also try to do just a bit of margin of improvements what our parents uh, give to us you know they only they did what they could do you know so what are you how are you changing the dynamic you know even if it's just marginally okay um So to be fair
1: I think my husband does more talking to all my kids, Uh, (laughs) including my daughter, than I do. I I still have a bit of my mom's fear. Yes, I still there's still a part of my brain that says, if my mom writes that if you know too much, then maybe you get curious." The other part of my brain says, "Um, what if somebody's not touching her inappropriately and then she (laughs) she says the person is, (laughs) you know, like... How do I know when she's... If I teach her all of these things, how do I know when she's communicating effectively and accurately to me? How do I know that she's not just magnifying it in her own mind? <laughs> and I know that sounds weird because a lot of times, people that have also dealt with sexual abuse, people have always responded with, "Is she might... Maybe you're, you're thinking about it the wrong way. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. So yeah, yeah. right now, I think my, my emphasis more is around teaching... My, uh, my daughter how to protect herself. So I talk about things around if somebody should, uh, the only people that can kiss you are, want to, like, I'm very specific. If anybody tries to um, please run away, walk away, um, nothing bad can happen to mommy and daddy. You should always feel comfortable to tell her. So, and also because uh, my husband is quite involved in those kind of conversations with her, that also helps. Um so I tell her things, their body parts I started body parts very with all my kids. So the boys call their body parts Kennedy, they're specific. My daughter calls it specific words. Um, if you tap her butt a boot up, she's going to she's gonna correct you like you don't do that. If I also do it just mm-hmm. by playing, she's going to look at me and like, Mommy, why she's yeah. like why, not <laughs> she's like, why? Yeah. Um, I'm still I'm still not 100% comfortable having that conversation um, because I'm looking at something like, yeah. I wish she's just four plus. And I'm saying, um, I just have to let her understand what is right, what is okay, and what, if somebody does, is definitely not okay. And you should speak up, you should run away, um, you should find safety, yes. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think those are the ways to go especially, and I, I don't, I won't worry so much about her magnifying it as much as not having that conversation mm-hmm. at all. And with time, she'll learn to adjust. Okay, you know what? You know, I can adjust appropriately. One thing I would like to prioritize is just being able to have that open communication with my daughter, where she's free to talk to me about anything. And she doesn't have to worry about trying to dumb it down or speak, you know, um, from one side of her mouth because she thinks it might be very hysterical, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean man, it's right with the world we live in now and just seeing how um, abuse has been because, you know, in talking to women, I had a book club the other day and in talking to women you will see that when they say one out of six, no, it's almost like five out of six men, women have been abuse. either mishandled yeah. or sexually abused in one way or the other, you know, not as if one abuse is better than the other, but sexually abused, period. Level. Yeah. And it's like, what the heck is going on? You know, what the heck is going on? So yes, I think the the bravery here is that we're doing one better than our parents. And we even though it's uncomfortable having these conversations, we're having them nonetheless. So yeah. kudos to us all. Um now, next question for you. You kinda alluded to it. So I think we can just comfortably and safely get into it. You talked about how when you just got married, it took you a while to kind of, you know, conceive. Can you walk us through that journey and what that was like, especially the feelings you had, you know, at that at that point. Especially because it was also at the same time you're paying more attention to your body. Yeah. And then you also had this pressure, you know, from the external people like, how far, how far, how far? When are we coming to eat on that set of rice? For those that are non Nigerians or you don't understand the phrase, when people say, oh, when are we coming to eat rice? Rice is a party food. <laughs> it's like, when are we coming to have a party? And once you've had, you had a marriage or you had your wedding done, the next set of rice to be had is for your baby, yeah. like your naming ceremony, your baby shower. So that's what that means. When are we coming to eat
1: rice? <laughs> yeah. How was it? I think for me it was a lot to deal with. uh, Because one is, so, I was coming from the thinking and the practice of no sex before marriage into the institution of marriage. Mm. uh, Without anybody having a sex class with me to say, oh, once you get married, you know, this is things you should know, this is how you should do this, how you should prep your mind, your soul, your body. Like I just went, I went in blank. If there was anybody that tried to have any kind of conversation with me, it's probably just be my sister, my older sister. I don't really remember anybody having that conversation. So getting in there, um, when I didn't get pregnant on time, I just thought I didn't know how to have sex. That was really what was on my mind. Like I just thought, like that you didn't know how to have sex. That's what you thought. I just feel like there's an approach to it. I when really you now meet older women, actually, <laughs> they talk to you. And they say, "Oh, lie in bed, raise when you finish, raise your legs just use a pillow, stay in bed." And they're like, How would that?" I'm trying to. No figure- mm,
0: flash. <laughs> it doesn't work for everybody, by the way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm trying to figure it out. But that I, doesn't work
0: for everybody. <laughs>
1: yes. And I also remember uh, when at some point I was just so stressed. I said, "Okay." let's go see a doctor. Then we go to see this doctor. And somehow, in fact, when I think about it, I felt like that guy was so unprofessional. Because he was asking more questions about sexual behavior than the biology. So, oh, do you know your menstrual cycle? Do you know this? He wasn't having that conversation. He wasn't having conversations like, oh, so uh, were you sexually active before marriage? I'm like, then when I said no, he was like, What about your husband? I said no. He was like, Are you sure he's okay? <laughs> he just was like, Are you sure he's okay? It's not normal. But I just have to, And as an man, if somebody is supposed to subscribe to the full of thought, of some people definitely will not have sex for marriage. And I think yeah. I left that session confused. I left the session really thinking, okay, maybe if I was sexually active for marriage, maybe I will not be so confused on the process of having a child. Um, then we got another opinion, and then when we got the other opinion, the oh, guy okay. just, yes, the guy was just like, okay, so you guys are still young in this thing. Calm down. It was just more. He tried to appeal. I'm sorry. More. How long
0: ago? How long after your marriage? How, how long after your marriage? Again hey, was this?
1: Oh, this is horrible. one year. One oh, wow. Yes. Okay. So the okay. guys just said, oh, you're so young, just like relax your mind. So it did more appeal to my mind to just say, calm down. He did the chat, okay, your menstrual cycle seems to be okay. Yeah, you guys are fine, just calm down. Then he just did some tricks of maybe some vitamins. It's just, you know, it does, i I suspect like he gave me vitamins. Uh, almost to just say, it's so likely to leave my office, I feel like I, I prescribed something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it did that, but I think it was quite stressful. I think it was um, very confusing for me because I was dealing with a cultural change. I was at the same time, all of a sudden, I'm trying to pay attention to my body and this was my body that I did not understand before now. If you talk about relations before the I didn't even understand what you're really talking about because, I just didn't pay attention to all of these things. Uh, so I mm. think it was stressful. It was one year, but that one year felt like years to me. Because every time you have sex, it's like you're just, you want have, you have to ask other party. So, yeah, yeah, the other person. Thinking about it. Is it going to be Like, okay, let me check. I had one app. i like, okay, let me check the app. Maybe this was the time. It was stressful. It was short, but stressful. Yeah.
0: I think i remember when your first child was conceived.
1: it was in vegas yeah it was yeah it was after the vegas trip yes yes, or maybe yes. yes. So i remember vegas yeah. just i remember yeah i was like ah, <laughs> <yeah." It's
0: true. laughs> yeah. so um how how old is your first first child um so is gonna be t- it's like 11 okay. this weekend 10. Yeah. Okay, I should know yeah. it's my godson, and then, um, so you had them Larry and I know Boucher is in Bethmont. happy birthday by the way, it's my godson um so and then yeah. the what was true Because i there was it was from you actually from you that I kind of was aware about it, but it was were the first person I ever had that conversation with about secondary infertility, and I would say that it wasn't something I had you know created space even. Listen to about or even talk to about, because I was too stuck in the primary stage yeah. of it. But and I will tell you just some of the things that maybe you don't remember, but just walk us through the next wave of it, because you know the second time it felt like it was a bit more difficult for you and you had to go through some emotions as well. Okay. And maybe just talk about your own experience having that and maybe some of the support that you didn't think, because I don't think people that are well supported. People that have sub- um, secondary facilities I would say that the first time I was, you had that conversation with me. My original thoughts was oh, at least she has one. What she want? About? Like at least you have yeah. one. But I think the more you talk to me about it, you actually helped me sit in that moment with you. Like you know what? Let me listen in, and I realized that oh my god, this is a struggle. It's different from my struggle, but it's a struggle nonetheless. Yeah. And since then, I've I've kind of like switched my mo. I'm I'm more empathetic. I'm more I can put my own problem aside and just be in that moment with that person. But you helped me get to that place. Because I cared about you, and I knew that you wouldn't be bringing your problems to me mm. as a way to kind of, you know, rub yeah. it on my face. So I knew that this is not for me. So I had to, like, you know, because my natural reaction was just, what the heck is this girl <laughs> about? Like, is, she, is she for real right now? Like, at least she has one. You know, but again, it's neither here nor there. You, you can have both truths. Like, you can have your own troubles, but also find a way to be there for your friend. Mm-hmm. But let's just talk about what that was like for you and just, you know, maybe some words you can also have to give for those who might be
1: navigating those problems right okay. now. Okay, thank you. Uh, the second one ah uh, I don't know how to explain it again so maybe because I'm in Nigeria people pay attention to almost everything uh, when you're a married woman um, if you angle too much if you have friends the opposite sex and you angle with them too much everybody's like mmm <laughs> you you spend if you work long hours everybody's like mmm you know People are consistently checking you for something. And when you also have one child and it's taking a while to have the next, it's the same like, oh. And the all sometimes can be a combination of, ah, but she has one. Or is it that that one is not for the person she's 90? Or is it that that one is, people start mm. thinking of all sorts. Or is it that that one is somebody of child that maybe has just been living with her? So for me, mm. I'll say the secondary, going through it the second time, and this time was longer because there's six years gap between um between mm. and Damilari. So six years. It was just... Six years? Yeah, six years. Wow. Six, six years gap. So it was just, mm. it just felt like one. At some point, I thought, okay, maybe I'll just always need to have one child. But then shortly after that maybe like 2-3 years after waiting I got pregnant then had a miscarriage so you had a miscarriage? Yes, I did, I did. But, you never yes, told me about I, that I, I, I'm surprised yes I had a miscarriage at least let's say maybe around the time Damilary was uh, 4 yes did you tell me about that? I'm surprised I did but yes I did yeah. I still I did huh? I had a miscarriage, say, when Damalaya was about three, four years old. How far along were you? Um, Maybe eight weeks. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. so sorry. She, it was the first trimester, but definitely that crossed the first four, six months, four, six weeks of drama. Yes. It was... But it still, Was still, Was still. Yeah. But still. Was still, yeah. Yeah. Was still. And so with the miscarriage happening while waiting it was very confusing for me that's the truth that's six years yeah. i also have very vague memories of that time if we had this conversation yeah, yes is. if we had this conversation when twins are like a year it might still be fresh but because now the things are four i have vague memories but i can just tell you some of the emotions i had kind of like confusion Mm. Um, it also puts it put a bit of emotional gap between my husband and I because throughout mm. it's it sad, we say it now, we laugh about it now. But the first I'll say until we had the twins, until I gave birth to the twins and went through it, we never enjoyed sex. That was the truth. The sex was a
0: chore. Sure. So it was more of just a let's hurry up and do it. Yeah. yeah. Almost like it's more for like to get, yeah, yeah, yes, I know what you we, mean.
1: The, we, we didn't bond at all. It was just like a chore. And I could see the frustration in his eyes sometimes, you know. He felt like, Romeo oh, is not a man. And this is all he's wanting. Just bump out the sperm. Yeah. <laughs> like an ice cream machine. <laughs> <laughs> this is all he's wanting already. And then your husband feels like he's not a man. Because, and then if you are looking at yourself, like, am I okay? Am I not okay? And so for the first few years, we initially were, we didn't bother too much, but we were worried, but we just didn't voice it to each other. But individuals on our own, we were like, okay, 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 what's going on here? And <clears throat> it took us after that miscarriage to decide to then seek medical guidance. That's the truth. And even to mm. do it, mm. Um, the first person I believe we spoke with was actually my uncle, who is a medical doctor in the UK. And, oh, the one? Is it the one that had, that had triplets? Oh, no, no, no. No, it's not the one I have to. He's, it's going to okay, that yeah, way yeah. older, yes. He's in the UK. Okay. So, um, I just reached out to him. My younger sister said, you know what? The first person I think you should talk to is my uncle in the UK. So, I reached out to him. He asked you questions. Okay. In fact, that was when your occurred to him. So, as much as I thought everybody in my family was counting the years, I didn't know that there were people that were actually not counting the years. So it so was on that call, my uncle just said, "Oh, oh what's the gap is? What all is that?" Man? And I said, "Said, oh, oh, he didn't know because he wasn't paying attention to that. All he knew was I had a child. But in my mind, it really did yeah. feel like the whole world was looking at me and judging me. And then he just had the initial mm. conversation, and it was one that gave us the encouragement and prepared our minds. He said, see." In fact, he was the one that spoke to us about secondary infertility. He said, Yes, you guys are younger when you mm. had your child, you know, a lot of things that happened, chemical reactions, different things, so your body can change. You know, so it just had to come and prepare our minds to say, So whatever you see, when you, once you start the process of getting medical support and they are doing your checks, don't feel like you're incomplete. It's just your body changing. And so it was the one that. Pushed hard mm. that we should get medical interventions very early. He insisted that we should mm. get medical interventions early. He made the calls to refer us to say, okay, go and see this person, go and see that person, and they assured us. And next the conversation you've had with me, I'm not going to tell my sister who is my mom. So it was clear, like this, this is a private conversation. Mm. I'm don't, I don't want it to feel like I'm going to pick the phone and start my sister. Ah, family, can go? So that gave a bit of um, comfort. I enjoyed support from some friends that season. I had friends who spent more time really just praying with me. Yeah, they they would just call and pray. And I think the prayers helped, but sometimes the prayers left me quite anxious because I was constantly saying, I was really like, I was constantly waiting on God and saying, oh, maybe it going may to be this month. <laughs> so I couldn't also mm. wait. I was mm. also, I knew mean, I had to wait for this to happen. I was very impatient and it wore me out. I also think during that season, I sacrificed a lot of my passion and the things that are important to me. I gave up because I was more focused on and trying to have more kids. And in that process, mm. I... I gave up me. I gave up me, either because I wanted validation from in-laws and family, and then I didn't want to pursue. I didn't want to look like a woman with one child who is so ambitious. <laughs> so I, I, I slowed down because I, just, I didn't want people to have too many things to count against me. So I was like, okay, let me just settle. Let me just settle. Let me just settle. He was drowning, and it was also weird at the same time because you're like, I'm okay, but it's part the of it I say maybe I'm not okay. Um, so now see, I've never, I've never, I've not thought back this much. <laughs> I've not thought about this much. Like, yeah, I've also, I I've also had experiences where people mocked me. It was weird. Like when somebody makes made to your face. Yeah. The, the person thought they were saying something really funny but it actually wasn't funny you know you she saying? just implied that ah she just implied that ah she, um, she said this in Yoruba, like oh you are being like you yeah, are all sophisticated going around with just one child <laughs> she, she I guess she meant it like I don't even know what she was thinking i guess she meant it like oh no matter how you meant it no
0: did she did she did she backtrack i'm like oh by no, the way this is not what i meant she no, she, she,
1: sincerely in, um, then she meant it yeah that she, way. she meant it like oh you're intentionally not I'm having more so, kids so, you're intentionally not having more kids because you want to do other things and this is me that felt like i was giving up in a lot of the dreams i wanted to pursue and this is an older woman looking at me and saying I'm still pursuing, and that is why I'm not having other kids. Going around with just one child. So I did this that I just shared now. I did. I never. I didn't even recall this. I, as we just go, I'm just like in my mind running back to that period and what it looked like. And that's that's I just remembered. I also struggled with having help at all. I felt like I had to do everything myself. I always felt like. You know, it's one child. If I have, if I have a domestic help at home, everybody's going to be looking at her. She has one child, does she has all this domestic help. <laughs> so I don't know. It it was interesting. <laughs> it affected me. It had me. Yeah, it was. I'm so sorry.
0: I didn't know you. I didn't know you had it this bad. And I think it's just um. Like hearing you just talk about it really made me really sad. I didn't know how bad he had it, you know. And I think this is another lesson of how we just don't take people at face value. You never know what people are going through, yeah. you know. And I think it was also you that I that lesson of when someone is pregnant and they make the announcement, stay in that joy with them because you don't know what people we'll go yeah. through. And because you had, I didn't know about your miscarriage one, but I knew that you it took a while for you to have your twins, and I knew the things you went through, right? And so I learned to kind of stay in the joy. And don't just say, oh, they had it easy. Because you never know until they sit down and tell you what they went through. You never know. Even up until the moment in the OR, you know, operating room and all that, or delivery room, whatever it's called, you never know. But I'm I'm glad that you're able to look at this now. And um, you've blocked out a lot, one. And I hope it's not your brain just blocking it out as a way of not dealing with it. I hope that's not it and if there's still some trauma to be metabolized I hope you seek a therapist and talk to them them about that but the fact that you're able to share this and be more candid, I imagine it's going to be very helpful to a lot of not just women but also husbands going through this Right? thank you, thank you for sharing that so (laughs) let's talk about the big elephants in the room I launched this product, yet, yeah. And here's how I feel about it. I I told you about it a while ago, but I never talked about it again. And here's why. I knew it was something I should have done a while ago, mm-hmm. but it just felt like the most ridiculous thing ever. You know, because it's yet to be resolved, at least to me. Mm-hmm. And you talk about people talking about you and maybe saying things about you. I've heard, I've, I mean, if you've gone through this journey, there's nothing you haven't heard before. Even from people you care about. And I've learned to sieve the messages into two: those who care about you and those who don't. And even those that care about you have said some helpful things. But you, you kind of like go like, okay, it's out of love. I can't just cancel you because you said this. Yeah. I'll just manage my expectations. If I'm able to call you out, I'll call you out. Otherwise, I'll just move on and just go and cry to God. But there's nothing i have not heard there's nothing that hasn't been said within my hearing shots outside of my hearing shot and but the struggles are real and i know i know i know the pain the the pains you know i go through and i know the pain women like me go through and so when i got the the lead to like you know start this project on raising funds for fertility issues and building a community for women who are you know 35 and above i thought it was the biggest joke i'm like god really mm. Like really, like it can't be like this is this can't be it because it's almost like even exposing, you know, the vulnerability and the the pain that has yet to be healed. And you're telling me to do this. How do I do this? Now i don't know, casting some form of, you know, um, limelight into my issues. But I obey and I'm like, yeah, let's just get it done. But I won't lie to you that it's it's not hard to feel like, and I'm just gonna say it. You can. You can tease it out, and I know you're going to try to respond to it, which is okay. This is how it feels like. I've walked with so many women on this path, and I've canceled, and I, I don't want to cry. <laughs> okay, hold on. Okay I've worked with so many people on this path, and I, I know it's okay. I just want to get the words out. Um, I've held their hands, we've talked together, we've consoled each other, and it happens for them, which, you know, it's happy. It's happiness for me to see that happen. But I don't feel stuck in this classroom. I feel like almost like the picture is like I'm just stuck in this classroom. I can tell you the, the, the paints on the wall. I can tell you the curtains. I can tell you which part of the wall has like, you know, has been bruised, has been, you know, dug into. I can tell you the colors of the chairs. I can tell you the number of chairs. I know the room very well. And I feel stuck. And everyone, someone enters that room as a new student. Oh, that's the person you go meet. She knows everything. She knows the in and outs. She knows the professors that will pass you. And I feel like that student that just stuck in that class that has never graduated. That's what it feels like to be on this journey. And maybe it's an oversimplification, but it feels like that sometimes. And it's why sometimes there's a lot of shame talking about it because it's like, why is it not just working for me? You know, why is it just not working for me? You've tried so many times. Mm -hmm. i put my body through so many things. Even when it's been outsourced out, it's still the same outcome. And so, even doing this project right now, I would like to... I'm already worried about just some of the backlash. Not like backlash from people. I know I'll get a lot of support, but just the possibility of exposing yet another part of me that hasn't fully healed and I'm still going through it. I mean, heck, recently, I still went through it. So... That's how I feel, but I know it's something that it will benefit a lot of people. But I'm just gonna stop there and and, and have you just share your thoughts. And <laughs> let me clean my eyes and my
1: nose. Ah. Oh, sh- <laughs> uh, so the question that comes to mind is, is not you. Then he: hmm, I'm sorry. Just stop but that. Yeah, why, no. why me? No. <laughs> why me?
0: No. I want to stop being a soldier. I just like no. I just want a baby girl. Like yeah.
1: I'm tired I'm no, of that. I <laughs> no. I don't want no. to relax, be taken care of. Um, you, know you know there's something <laughs> I always say. Those of us our privileges come in different forms. Our privileges, they come in different forms. Some of us, our privileges come from us going through very tough times, but still having what it takes to navigate that tough time. Some people do not have the privileges that we have. So you're deciding that you want to do this project to help other women who are struggling with similar issues. You have tried several times. I have tried several times because I had the finances too. And that thinking again might be coming from my work with low income women. There are people that have severe needs and those needs cannot be met. Not because they lack ideas on what to do. In fact, not because they don't even know where to go. But because they don't have the financial capacity to do it. There are people yeah who have the financial capacity to do it, but don't have the inner strength to do it again. I've also had friends who are doing well financially and have gone through cycles of ideas. Cycles. Cycles like a friend of mine that you finally worked for, she didn't even want to try that time. In fact, when she went to, to do it, <laughs> she said she's into better places. But she just said, let me just go again. So sometimes we have the privileges to navigate hardship. Some other people, they don't. Your privilege is your knowledge. Your privilege is your community. Your privilege is your resources. And you choosing to share that with someone else who doesn't have those three, I think is more than enough. I know there's something we used to always say, and I always tell you, Um, I think being a mother is beyond being a biological mother, even though the society usually defines it by being a biological mother. Look at what you do with Ari. You also have to begin to realize that helping other women become mothers make you a mother to that child they conceive. That's the truth. They are bringing something to the table to enable somebody else co-create or enable somebody else to do what they are trying to do and then they finally do it, it gives you equal access to that. For me, I don't think a project should actually stop with you just so we, you know, we help these women. You have to identify some of the women that you've got a longer journey with. You might end up being a godmother to your children the same way a godmother to mine. You might end up being a coach to their children because you, have, you become part of that woman's story. Therefore, you become part of that child's history. And whatever that child becomes, you become part of it. So what else is a mother if not somebody that is part of another person's story? So you see, it's beyond that. I don't know why God has put you inside that classroom. Me, I just know that at the end of everything, it will all make sense. But why you're the one in that classroom... Stop making me cry for me. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. It's
0: okay. Go, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry,
1: go on. So while you're there, I don't know. To be frank, I don't even know half of how you feel. <laughs> I don't. Because you've been through a lot even before now. So it's not about the fact that, oh, you just started while well, you're trying to conceive. All the surgeries you've gone through, even just through our 20s. Do you understand? So, you have to just accept as physical as it is, and as I, 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 I'm speaking, I almost feel like I'm being insensitive, but is it hard to? No. Yes, that you have to just embrace the idea. You just have to embrace who you are. You're not accepting people's labels, okay? You're not accepting whatever anybody would say. And we are black, we are about women, the only thing. <laughs> you see, the truth is even if you have seven children, they'll find a fault in you. If you have seven children, yeah, you don't have no yes, boys. You, say you yeah. have no If you have seven boys. or you have two boys. If you have seven boys, boys. <laughs> yes, boys they say you don't have a girl. If you have three boys and four 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 uh, four girls, they say oh, maybe she has one more so it's equal. You have children. <laughs> they will say, Ah, why? Are you, why are you walking towards that? Um, your professor title. Don't you think it's going to take too much? Don't you think you start competing with others? And don't you think your children will not see you? People always have something to say. Like the truth, I, I may mean, have to accept it. I will always be incomplete in front of others. That's the reality. They would always find something. No, complete in yes, Christ. Yeah. but I'm complete in Christ. They will always see something in me and say, "This girl says." This one, they will always find. So let's be thankful for what we have. That you even have yeah, the, the yeah. mind to think of doing this for someone else. That project cannot stop with just helping those women have those children. <laughs> That's not it. You have to, those children, you select some of them that you'll be part of their life too. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's like in the community, in our village, you said know they say, yes, bobo. You know that word, Yagbubu is mother of all. Yeah. Mother of all. I <laughs> if you think of women who they used to call the Yagbubu, in fact, to be frank, I suspect some of them didn't even really have children. Or, some of them, we couldn't really identify who their kids were. But they were, they were, as they were equally mother to everybody. Yeah. We yeah. don't even know, like, there are women yeah. that would die in the community they will do their burial. You will not be able to say, this is the son, or this is the daughter. Unless those kids introduce themselves, you don't know who they are. Because they're like, this person was a mother to me, oh. I don't know, I don't need to know a family. So, yeah. yeah. Thank that you. That would the project.
0: Thanks for... No, calm down. Give me like 40 more years, calm
1: down. Um...
0: No, seriously, yeah. thank you. Thank you for working um, with me on that. Um, there was something you said earlier on that I want to bring to fore, and it kind of ties to why I think this project is important. So the number of projects is the most Fertilizer project. Every year around my birthday, I try to like do some form of you know, fundraising I've done for education. But this is a project that really, I mean, education is important to me, but this is something that is a pain point for me. And um, I had shared a post in July I was reading my Bible and that Bible verse of David and Bathsheba when they lost their child that was born out of you know adultery, and the servants were kind of worried about telling David because before the child died he was you know begging God and praying and not eating and you know all downcast, and the moment the boy the child passed away uh, they were even worried about you know telling him that hey boss this child is gone and he, I think he overheard them like talking in whispers, and the moment he heard that the child was done, he just, you know, got up and it was himself again. And that triggered me, because when I talked about the last miscarriage I had when I was in Ireland, you know, away for work, and I had somebody reach out to me, saying that, thank you for sharing that story. I mean, every time I shared things like that, people i like, didn't even know going through stuff reach out to me in private, but something someone said, she was like, I live in the shadows, like, ever since she's been married for a while and I knew she was married for a while but it's that kind of friend that I never really want to assume unless you tell me you're going through this I don't assume that everybody that wants to, that, doesn't, that doesn't have kids right now doesn't just they. I just I like I like I, I leave people where they are unless you tell me I don't try to assume or maybe make some sentence that might trigger because I know how those things can be triggers for me she said I live in the shadows that um, she's not being herself and she doesn't even talk to people anymore. She's a, she's almost like a shadow of herself. And this is why I'm starting this project because I feel like a lot of us, understandably so, these issues are so compounded and so complex. And we're, not ourselves, we're not even living life at this moment. The only thing we see is, oh, do I have my period or not? And when you don't have your period, you get that little glimmer of hope and then yeah. your period comes it's like, oh my God. And that's how we've lived life. We've Our lives have been condensed to that point of, this is it. It's not working for me. And slowly we become a different version of ourselves. We're not enjoying life anymore. While well, there's that, you know, cloak of depression. I really want to create a community for women to come out of the woodworks, come out of the shadow and, and find ways to enjoy life back while they're still trying to navigate. Now, don't discard those dreams. Those dreams are valid. I still want you to keep dreaming of your babies and when that will happen for you. But let's start with getting you back to a point where you enjoy life. I used to be a part of a a little community for women trying to conceive. And one of the women that came there, she had secondary infertility like you, but has never got resolved. She only had a child, you know, that one child. And it was so difficult from her thirties to her forties. She ended up having a child when she was 40 something. So she knew that was going to be her only child. But something she told me that she's still constantly depressed because she spent a whole decade trying to have this child. By the time the child came, she had no joy like there was no way that she's still trying and her child is probably 10 now she's still trying to get that joyful that job back and i think it stayed with me because then i had never adopted and for her to have shared that with me i realized that my goodness if i carry on being this downcast and filtering all my experiences through this thing that hasn't happened for me yet when that joy comes it might be very hard for me so i want to prepare women what a, let's take back your life a little bit. Let's take mm-hmm. a little bit back of your life. Let's f- make you think about ways because it's always joy. There's always something mm-hmm. around you that you can be joyful for, right? Mm-hmm. We can find it. We can get you back on that path. So when it does happen for you, you don't have to start thinking about joy because we we kind of walked the way backwards. So that's one of the things of the project. One of one of the keys is to definitely create a community to support women. And like Fumi rightly said. You know, for a lot of us, it's not for the lack of trying. trying. Mm -hmm. If I count how much I've spent on Mm -hmm. just trying to conceive and my surgeries and my quality of life, it's a lot of money. And it hasn't still worked for me. It doesn't mean that for you, it might be something as simple as getting a fibroid removed or um, seeing a consultant who can place you on drugs to balance your hormone. For some women, it's just money. Those are the I want to target. If it's just money for you, what is money? We'll find it. We'll get you on your path. But for a lot of women, it's not for lack of trying. Like At this stage, I cannot even do any more IVF because every time I do IVF, I have to have a surgery afterwards because it kind of just shuts my system down. So it's not even safe for me at this point. You know. And I'm turning 30, I'm 37. I'm almost 40. So bye-bye IVF. It's just as well. So rather than just spending that time to grieve and mourn and be like, oh, what is me? I want to turn that light inwardly and shining to women. So for some women, it's not too late. These are the target demographic. And why 35 and above? Because that's the age. If you go to your doctor often, as often as I've been to, mm. they mention that, almost like you're seeing your eggs in a cliff dive jump, you know, you're no longer fertile. As a matter of fact, once you get pregnant, they tell you geriatric pregnancy. But I want to, we want to see ways to provide hope to those women. And this is why I brought someone like Fumi. Fumi is on the board. We've launched the project. And for those that are listening, if you want to support that, you can help share with your friends and family. You can help donate. You can help contribute to our cause. If you're a gynecologist or someone in counseling, or... because it's an all hands approach, um, all hands on deck approach we're using, not just the medical piece of it, but therapy for these women, counseling, a community yeah. where they can talk, even trying to enjoy sex again without having to think is this a spam that's going to work? Mm-hmm. You know, even the spouses as well. What kind of support can they have? These are the things we are planning to do with the project. And I suspect, from me just mentioning Well, you've said it now. It has to be done. That's not going to be a one-time thing. This is this is probably my calling in life. Perhaps it's a way of just finding joy back and taking some form of joy that I have lost mm-hmm. from these years. You know, I got married at 25. I got married super early. And I'm 37. I'll be 37 in a week's time at the time of this recording. It's been 12 years. 12 whole years of trying and I want to stop trying, but I want to start helping. I want to start shedding that light, that there's joy to be the had. There's a community out here. You cannot, you, you're not alone. I've been through everything. I know those nights, your pillows, they know the tears, they've soaked. When you're alone in the toilet and you see your blood just coming out mm-hmm. from your period, the, the, how your heart just sinks like, oh, again, and doctor's appointments that are so disappointing and how they make it seem as your problem or lose some weight, eat this food or why is it not working, it's become a you problem but there's a community here to embrace you and listen to you and provide you with hope and hold your hand and hopefully get you to that point where you need to be, this is why the project was launched
1: Good job (laughs) Thanks for deciding to do
0: it, and for you, Fumi. Why? Why did you? What was it important for you? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. What was it important for you to be a part of this project? And and I know you do a lot of work with women, so you can tie that to
1: that as well. Um. Why? So I work. My work focuses a lot on um, financial inclusion, women economic empowerment. Um. I've also seen. So what at the core women, when you ask them, why do you do what you do? The one thing, the first answer is my children. Even for the widow. Even so, it's like, if a woman doesn't have a child, it always feels like she's incomplete. And sometimes, for some women, mm-hmm. it's like, the purpose cannot be discovered yet. So, to be part of a thing that helps someone find joy, that helps someone navigate the path to self-discovery because that's also the path of trying to become a mother. You discover a lot of things about yourself, you know. I think for me, it's another way of empowering a woman. It's another way of holding somebody's hand to say, um, "You've been sitting for too long. I think you can walk now. I think you can stand now. I think you can dance if you want to." Um, so for me, that's that's just okay. it. This is you can empower a woman who mentally or biologically still feels incomplete then you're just playing around yeah
0: yeah thank you and my goodness I didn't even think about that link of because I know your work really focuses on indigent women and yes. helping them get access to line of credit and teaching them financial literacy but that purpose of for my children so imagine for women that don't have children yes that's what important yeah. there's that almost like that sense of and I'm, I want to just say I I I've been being accomplished in the things I do, but it's always that sense of just there's something missing, right? There's something mm-hmm. missing, and perhaps it's there for a reason. I don't think it's necessarily bad all the time. Maybe it's just a reminder of how grounded and how human this whole mm-hmm. process of, of being human, you know. But mm-hmm. um, that said, it's when it when it becomes darker and it's taking over the purpose of your life. That's when we need to pull you back into safety. Now um. As we even round off and all that, what's your, I guess, for those that maybe just help us do a jingle, why should people like, you know, care about this project? Why should they do it and all that kind of stuff?
1: Why? (laughs) So if you're a woman, you should care about this. That's the truth. Um, You should care about another woman feeling complete because having more of us who feel whole definitely makes life easier for everyone. Um, You should care if you've seen a sister or a friend go through a similar problem. And really, even if you're just a guy, you definitely know what it feels like for someone to feel like there's something they want, but they're struggling to get it, and all they need is just for you to hold their hands to reach out for it. So, anybody, Yeah. yeah, who cares about family systems should also care about this because again couples who don't have kids do sometimes feel like they're not yet a family because the child is not there. So uh, we should, everyone should care about it. not it. It is. We should all care about it. Yeah. yeah.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Whew. So this has been, oh gosh, I thought, I knew I was going to cry, but I didn't know I was going to cry like this and And just, but it was good. It was good kind of tears. Thanks for, uh, I should also say that. Thank you. Thank you for being um, a great friend. You've listened to me a lot. You've been very encouraging. Very, very encouraging. I'll say that. And I think one of the things you do best is having to remind me, because I do have those tendencies to forget just the things I have going for me. You're one of those friends that, you know, you remind me that, hey, you know, you can't be, this is who you are. This is who you truly, truly are. Find this, this sad thing has happened to you, but you cannot give up because of these reasons. Thanks for doing that reminder. It helps a lot. And I hope, you know, I've been able to reciprocate that with you uh, as well in your journey. But all that said, thank you. Thank you for um, your support and your listening ears and, and being genuine. I think that's, that's also very key. So yeah, thank you.
1: <laughs> thank you, Talani I love you.
0: Can you be? In? Oh, <laughs> I love you too. All right, everyone. This was the episode of my um, dear friend and younger sister. For me. See, she has a lot of wisdom. I told you guys, you're in for treat. But we hope this episode, um, Jokes aside, um, stirs something in you. If you have friends who might be going through this, perhaps here's your cue to check in on them. And I find it very helpful to ask people, how can I help you? Like, how can I serve you today? Or what, as a friend, what would you like for me to help you with? How can, I benefit? How, can you, how can I be of help to you as a friend, as a sister, as a brother in this journey? And you'd be surprised what things that might come up. For a lot of us, we've strayed away from our joy. And having to get back to that point is so difficult. Perhaps you can be a Harriet Tubman showing us the way. Uh, and um pointing that light towards joy perhaps it's just reminding of us of, of just who we are as a person as a sister as a wife as a friend and slowly just shifting our focus away from that state of present progressive of trying all the time you know and for spouses husbands my baby, listening to them, we don't in any way invalidate your struggles we imagine it's a lot of work for you and I'm learning a lot on how to support you know um as this. so if you're a spouse a, a male spouse listening to this and you'd like to come on the podcast to share your own story especially how we can support you best I'm actually looking forward to having such conversations as well in any event please check the show notes for how you can best support the project we're planning to raise um, $10,000 um, over the next six months to support that project and in addition to just the financial piece of it we're providing um, some form of emotional counseling and um, and guidance women to support them through this and provide some education on learning about their periods on you know ovulation and learning how to track their cycles and foods that can help boost fertility and it's not just going to be me talking about it because i have clearly no expertise in this but we have um, a lot of people who've supported it was supporting the show gynecologists um, counselors and fertility experts as well so come aboard with us and see how we can provide help because it really does take a village. In any event, I remain your host, Mo Sible, and it's my birthday next week. So happy birthday to you, Mo. <laughs> and thank you all for listening as always. Love you guys, and thank you so much for me. Appreciate your time today. You're welcome, darling. All right. Kisses to my babies and um, tell them, Larry happy birthday for me." <laughs> I will happy. Right. Yeah. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> bye.